It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Right, traffic on the Mill Street Road in McCroom, described as shocking. Someone sitting in the car 15 minutes, barely moving between two sets of traffic lights. That's the road from Mill Street to McCroom or McCroom to Mill Street, depending on which way you're faced. Sitting in the car for 15 minutes and barely moving. We don't know if there's an accident or whatever out there. It's not normally the busiest road in the world. Not the best road in the world either, but you know yourself. If you are any further on the road and know what's going on, do tell us. Do you see that? Adele... The new album is out on the 19th of November. She's got a song on it called I Drink Wine. <laughs> I Drink Wine. She Is she coming out and telling us something we had to guess at or something? I like it, though. I like it, though. The song is out, or the album is out on the 19th of November. Uh, Easy On Me is, like, the biggest song in the world at the moment, or one of them anyway. Uh, 24 million streaming listens in a week for Easy On Me. I drink wine. Can you see that being the karaoke hit at the Christmas time? I drink wine. I wonder what it's going to sound like. Let's try and get a, I get a snatch of what that might sound like. Anyone know what that sounds I drink wine. Adele's new album. 1857-15996. We knew, didn't we, that as soon as they brought in the PUP and those other things, and much needed as they were at the time, and they saved a lot of people at the time, and they gave people money when they'd otherwise have had nothing and it was handled very quickly in the course of the pandemic and there was you know people got money into their accounts quickly (laughs) look there were loopholes in it there were ways to exploit it and there were ways to use it to commit crime and that's exactly what has happened in uh, before the courts 
uh, in the last couple of days. Anne Mooney from the Irish Sun joins me. Two men, uh, and uh, are they Nigerian nationals based in Cork? Yeah, good morning. Um, good morning, PJ. Yes, uh, they are both Nigerian nationals, um, but one of them, um, uh, Uluwaga, uh, sorry, Bashir Adrabege, um is uh, an Irish citizen, has been in the country for 18 years and is a taxi driver. Um, the other man, uh, Uluwaga Becky Lewis, um, we uh, didn't get very many details about him apart from the fact that he's um, in the country five years, um, has a relationship with an Irish woman and has a four-year-old child with her um, and also has an eight-year-old child in, um, in Nigeria. Uh, the other man has five children here in Ireland. Um, and one of them, both of them uh, were living in uh, Middleton, but uh, the uh, second defendant is, has moved to a rented house in Ballincollig. Um, the, 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 whole, the whole scene as it developed actually yesterday was, was quite astonishing, PJ, I have to say. Um, it almost read like a crime novel. Uh, in terms of those involved, um, because uh, the, the the whole scam involved uh, an international crime syndicate based in, in Nigeria. Um, and we had heard that uh, Lewis, um, via uh, WhatsApp messages and uh, voice messages on his phone, had been in contact with um, the crime overlord, I suppose, uh, who was simply named as the chairman. Um, and there was another mysterious person in the background called Ebony Three. <clears throat> so, um, but the scam itself was extremely sophisticated as well, um, because it involved um, hacking into uh, some base um, and into um, and and securing the names of uh, seventy-three people uh, who worked for Tusla and for the HSE. Now. Under the guidelines of jury, um, those who can serve on juries, uh, people who work in both of those organisations can't serve on juries. So they knew what they were doing because um, obviously when they put the names through, um, what they did was they they actually um, created a a link uh, which Mm. they asked these people to click on to. And that link took them to a fake site, which was a replica of the uh, Department of Justice website. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they were asked to click a link on that website and provide their personal details, which included obviously PPS numbers and all the other um, details that would uh, allow you mm. to actually open bank accounts. Um, so it was it was highly sophisticated, um, and it was, it certainly appears to have originated in in Nigeria. Um, but in actual fact, um, they managed to secure one hundred and forty three thousand euro, wow. um, of which only thirty two thousand, uh, just over thirty two thousand, um, has been frozen in Irish bank accounts. So they use um, genuine state employees to channel money to themselves. Yes. Yes, and this 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 breach or this this um, scam was actually detected um, by the um, by officers in the uh, National Economic Crime Bureau, working with their colleagues in Social Protection Unit, um, back in July of 2020, uh, when they noticed that 
PUP payments were being made to people who weren't entitled to them because they were employees of the HSE and TUSLA, and that sparked off the investigation. But actually, the major breakthrough came as a result of um, the observations and the alertness of um, of Detective Garda uh, Kieran Cronin in Middleton, who actually stopped um, a Mercedes, a black Mercedes E-type car, um, and uh, questioned uh, Lewis was the driver of that car. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, Garda Cronin noticed that this man was uh, particularly nervous, and uh, he w- he became suspicious, uh, resulting in the fa- in him searching the car and discovering two fake passports and uh, two fake bank, well, two bank accounts uh, in 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 names uh, other than his um, uh, that were with the permanent TSB. So. Um, yeah, so that's he. So he took it. That was really, really, um, some work on his behalf. Sharp and, police work. And, uh, and yeah, and he's he's to be complimented for the work that he did on it because it was he who made the major breakthrough on the on the cork end of it here. You know, mm-hmm. um, so so the this the uh, Lewis was actually um, his phone was taken and they they found these audio messages and WhatsApp messages between him. And his co-defendant, um, Adebeke, and other people, including the chairman and Ebony Three. Um, so uh, yesterday in the Cork Circuit Criminal Court, um, Lewis uh, pleaded guilty. Both Lewis and his co-defendant um, pleaded guilty to conspiracy charges, charges, which were described as highly unusual yeah. um, and rarely become come before the courts but in this instance it did and it involved money laundering mm-hmm. um, and he also um, pleaded guilty to a, a, a big number of charges including uh, having false documentation and mm. having fake passports and How much um, money was involved um, <clears throat> so, um They were saying they said that 143,000 um, was um, was taken Mm. But of that, as I said, only over 30,000 was recovered. Plus, they knew that another 30,000 had been transferred to Bank of Germany. After that, we don't know where the rest of the money went to. But there was also evidence, and this is kind of the shocking bit, really, PJ, because in the course of those messages, um, there was um, there was chat about uh, other bank accounts opened in Ireland, uh, which were capable of taking up to a million euro. Okay, right. So, you know, very sophisticated scam. And, this was. Yes, yes, and if 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 Garda Cronin and uh, his colleagues in the in the national organisations hadn't, uh, you know, been as alert as they were. Um, certainly, the amount of money that would have been taken possibly would have been a lot more. Um, so there was, um, you know, uh, after they pleaded, of course, the, the, you know, there were um, the mitigating circumstances, the fact that neither of them had uh, had uh, any previous um, convictions and their and their family backgrounds, um, but but uh, but both of them uh, managed somehow um, to bring in compensation money into the court. Um, uh, Lewis um, had. Five thousand euro, and his co-defendant had um, six thousand. Right. 
And just before um, Judge Helen Boyle was about to sentence them, um, both the barristers um, made uh, made uh, appeals for the judge to adjourn it so that they could come up with more compensation money. Okay. So they're back in why, court when uh, next week, is it? So, so they're back in court uh, tomorrow week, the 10th of November, and uh, the matter will be finalised then. Okay. Uh, but, but the conspiracy charges can carry um, jail terms of up to 14 years. Okay. All right. We'll follow it with interest, and because it's a very complicated scam, and caught, like you said, by an eagle-eyed guard who started the ball rolling on it, that led to uh, all of Michael Lewis and Abashu Adabij being before Cork Circuit Criminal Court. And Mooney, thank you very much, and Mooney from the Irish Sun. They were using legitimate government employees. They scammed them into giving over their details and then they drew the, drew the pup on their behalf. And it was only when someone in the National Economic Crime Bureau noticed, hang on, those people shouldn't actually be getting pup because they're working. It all began to come to light. Wow. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. When you're finished work, school or college, I'm here every evening giving away the coolest prizes. <laughs> Playing the music that you want to hear. It's wondering if you could play any song by the script. And there's always a celeb stopping by. I think I look like middle-aged in my confirmation photo. <laughs> I look older there than I do now. So join me weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home with Harvey Norman on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just a quick one there. Saturday afternoon on Patrick Street, a young woman was saying goodbye to her mum, getting on to the 205 bus. She put her bag down on the ground while she was saying goodbye. It was a TK Maxx bag. And then, of course, she went away without getting the bag. Now, someone picked it up, and she was gone by the time she caught up with her. So she contacted us to know could we call it out that if she gets in touch we can sort it out so there's a receipt and she knows what in the bag and the whole thing so that's a very kind-hearted caller Patrick Street young woman saying goodbye to her mum left a TK Maxx bag down by her side on the ground walked away without it our caller picked it up and ran after her didn't catch her she got on the bus etc etc now she has it so if that's you or you're that girl's mum the bag is safe we have it uh, don't be fretting about it. We have it. We can we can organise it for you. Our our, car, our listener has it rather. If you want to make in contact with us about it, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Over the last eighteen months, uh, Doctor Gerald Barry, a virologist based at the School of Veterinary Medicine in UCD, has been interviewed many times about the nature of the coronavirus and constantly has remarked that we need to be getting used to the fact that this is here for the medium to the long haul. Because let's face it, we all thought that if we just get vaccines and we just get control over it, that the vaccines will crush it like a grape. That's what we all thought. 
this time last year we were so looking forward to vaccines coming out we were so excited about vaccines coming out and we did honestly think at that stage that the vaccines would help to, to stamp it out now we know that that's not the case vaccines are brilliant they're working you, you, your chances of getting very sick are so much less but you can still get COVID and you can still pass it on uh, Dr Barry joins me on the programme good morning to you Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good. You were right then, Gerald, and I suppose you take no satisfaction in, in knowing that you were right. But looking to the, the, the months ahead, what other things should we be thinking about? Well, I suppose, you know, really from the start of this, I think we've been learning so much about this virus, but we've reached a point now where I think we have a really good comprehension about what this virus is, what it does, how it spreads, and how efficiently it spreads, how aggressively really it spreads in a population. And the frustrating thing is that we also know the measures that we could and should be putting in place that will give us the best chance to uh, allow us to come back to a kind of a somewhat normal life by controlling this as aggressively as possible. And I'm not talking about lockdowns, very far from it. I'm talking more about putting in place public health policies, um, you know, better testing, better tracking of the virus, all these kind of measures that people have been really screaming about, I suppose, from the beginning, um, or at least in, in recent times, that could and should be put into place um, on a kind of a governmental level that I think would allow us to live um, alongside this virus because mm. we're going to have to live alongside this virus. We're not going to be able to get rid of this thing, uh, as you say, in the short term, definitely not. Do, do you think... Oh, his line has just dropped on us there. Fiona, see, can you get him back? That's dark enough, though. I mean, the, the vi- look, the vaccines are working. We know this. Um, don't mind those for a second to tell you that they're not. They are. The vaccines are working. Your your chances of getting seriously ill with a vaccine, your chances of ending up in hospital with a vaccine are a hell of a lot less than they were without one. Uh, But the vaccines do not stop transmission and the vaccines do not stop other things. They do stop you getting very, very seriously. I'm just trying to get him back. He's there online too. Thank you, lads. Hi, PJ. Sorry about that. Not at all. So what I was saying there just in between, I was waiting for you to come back, was that like the vaccines, no doubt, are doing what they do. The only problem is we thought they would do more. We, we thought that we might be able to use these vaccines to crush it like a grape. That's not going to happen. Was it Delta changed that game, Ger, or was that always going to be the case? I think Delta had a huge impact on that, no doubt. I think we always we knew that vaccines would have a huge impact on protecting us against disease, but I think we hoped that it will also have a big impact on transmission. And in the face of the alpha virus, which was very aggressive but not as bad as Delta, the, it did seem to be having that impact. Like, it's very, very hard for vaccines to be designed to stop transmission. So we kind of knew that from the start, that this vaccine might stop transmission, but, uh, you know, it, that's a very, very hard thing to do. And we don't actually fully really understand how to make a vaccine that will fully block transmission. So that was always kind of in our minds. It was kind of a hope, but it was never really believed that it would definitely happen. And the reality is it doesn't stop transmission. And we know by about six months post your second shot that your ability to contract and transmit this virus is not far off a person that's unvaccinated. So, you know, that... It, that you kind of go back to square one a little bit from that point of view. And so what we need to do basically is not now go back to a, a point where we're relying on things like lockdowns, God forbid. We, but we need to be putting in place proper 
control policies that would actually help us um, keep a lid on this virus. So things like, um, you know, proper testing, for example, um, there's a combination of mass, in my opinion, mass use of antigen testing in combination with mass use of PCR testing. So, you know, just to put it in context, I'm not sure what the case is like in Cork, but where I live, I have to drive almost an hour to get a PCR test. Mm. Now, that's an inconvenience for me. And so, okay, every person is different, but if somebody wakes up with a bit of a sniffly nose or a bit of a headache and they have to drive an hour to get a test, rather than just popping down the road and quickly running in and getting a test, um, you know, straight away you're creating a barrier to somebody identifying whether they're, they're positive for COVID or not. So that's a simple thing that could be done that mm. creates a convenience to testing. And we know that at the heart of this, the more we test, the more cases we pick up, the more likely we are to stop chains of transmission. Uh, how do you feel about keeping antigen tests at home, say in the fridge, and just doing one any time you feel a bit ropey? No, I think antigen testing needs to be much much better than that actually like antigen testing as a once-off is good but it's not really good enough antigen testing really should be used on a regular basis on a like twice weekly basis ideally so that people kind of track uh, their health status effectively using antigen testing i think there needs to be a complete overhaul in how we're communicating the use of antigen testing and unfortunately the mantra around it has been so negative up to this point that I think there's a real scepticism around antigen testing when other countries have found huge benefit from using yeah. antigen tests. Are you suggesting something like, okay, I know I'm coming in here to a program on a on a Monday morning, that I would test myself, say, Sunday morning, and if it comes up off, but, then I would go get PCR, notify my employers that I might not be in on Monday? Absolutely. So what antigen testing is really good is they'll they'll detect very effectively, over 90% effectiveness at detecting if somebody is shedding large amounts of virus. So and in the early stages of the infection, your antigen test might miss it. So let's say you get infected on a Saturday, on a, out in a nightclub, let's say. On a Sunday, if you test yourself, you're going to come up negative. You might even come up negative on a Monday morning. But if you continue to test yourself, then as your amount of virus coming out of your nose increases the antigen test is more likely to pick you up. So in other words, as you enter that dangerous phase where you might infect other people, antigen tests will catch you and okay. keep you at home. And so that's why antigen testing on a regular basis is very effective. As mm-hmm. a once-off to tell you if you're infected or not, as I say, if you tested yourself on a Sunday, yeah. you probably come up negative. And relying on that then to clear you for the week is yeah, not good I enough. I should test again maybe on Tuesday. Right. So yeah. like in UCD, for example, where I work in the vet school, we test everyone in, that's working in our veterinary hospital every Monday and every Thursday. Right. Now, it's a voluntary system. People can come if they want. They don't have to. But what it does is it just allows us to keep a regular track of a, of a, a dense population of people that are working together yeah. and gives us a reassurance that there's nobody in there that's shedding a lot of virus. Yeah. And on top of all the other measures we have, like distancing and mask wearing and all those other things that we should be doing, that's just, it's not a, it's not a magic bullet, but what it does, it creates an extra layer of risk sure. mitigation. Our distances, like stickers on the floor and masks on our face, are they with us for the foreseeable, Ger? Yeah, I think masks are going to be with us long term. I don't see us getting rid of masks, particularly coming through the winter, most definitely, I think, in indoor environments with high rates of virus the way they are. I think it would not be a sensible idea to get rid of masks. We know that they're effective 
uh, reducing transmission. Um, And I think while viruses circulating at such high levels, it would be uh, brainless to get rid of them. I don't think... I don't think we should go down that line, definitely not. So, we know yeah, that there's a move now with, with boosters now. The healthcare workers are going to get boosters. The over 80s are getting boosters. The over 60s mm-hmm. are getting boosters. Will it eventually move down through all the age groups? And will we start vaccinating the children soon? Or should we? Yeah, I think yes to both of those. Yeah, I, I would I would fully expect boosters to be rolled out across the population. Um, definitely before Christmas, I would think. And I think, yeah, it'll probably roll into the, the 5 to 12-year-old group as well. You know, we know that kids transmit this virus and we know that the vaccine will help to protect them not only against illness, but also in the short term against transmission. And so to get us through the winter period at least and to try and get control of this because we're not putting in place all those other measures that we could be putting in place, I think in a way we've been backed into a little bit of a corner by our current policies and we'll, we're going to have to return to boosters to try and solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And lastly, with regard to the schools, I had a, a principal here on the programme yesterday passionately outlining to me the problems caused by taking the contact tracing out of primary school. As simple as if a child tests positive now in one of his classes, he's not entitled to know unless a parent decides to tell him. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I worked in contact tracing last year and, you know, there's a lot of training goes in, into it. There's a lot of kind of expertise involved in contact tracing. And we've gone from that now to um, every parent of a child in a primary school is suddenly a contact tracer, you know, because WhatsApp groups have become the medium through which people find out if, if children in their class are infected. Um, that's not the way things should work. You know, it really isn't. And I think there should be much better supports in schools not only to help schools control spread within the classroom environment, but also policies in place to help uh, inform parents and keep them updated with what, what is happening, you know, mm-hmm. in the local school. Uh, I think it's a. I think school schools have been put in a, an incredibly challenging position um, it, because of the policy of schools being safe. Schools and- are safe. They're doing huge amounts of work to try and control this virus, but I think. Uh, policies could be put in place to help them an awful lot better. And the last problem that comes up, and I've parents who have a child or two children in school and one of them tests positive and they're out for a few days, like that's very hard on working families. Can we do anything to make it easier? Well, absolutely. Like, I mean, we know that kids don't transmit the virus as efficiently as adults, okay? So if we take that as a principle and we say that, okay, if we take contacts, for example, this idea of taking them out of school for 10 days is just not a runner. It's too impactful on both the parents and the kids. So what you do is you come up with a happy medium. You employ testing to allow kids to go safely to school, but also to pick up kids that are potentially infected and or infectious. And so you allow them to go to school but you get them to do something like an antigen test every morning so that if they're shedding virus and are therefore potentially infectable or able to infect other people, you stop them going to school because antigen testing will do that. I got you. I got you. You know, it's a pretty simple policy. And I, I suppose the key thing is antigen testing, I'm not saying it's a magic bullet, it isn't going to pick up every single case, but it'll pick up a lot more cases by doing it then we'll pick up by not doing it. All right. You know, and so the whole point is to try and reduce the overall burden. And all these little measures, like improving ventilation, like improving air filtration, like 
bringing in antigen testing, all those little things help to reduce the overall case burden. And by not doing those, we get the result of what's happening now, which is cases are rising and we're turning to vaccines to try and solve the problem again. And that's a short-term solution, I have to stress. That is a short-term solution that in the long term is not going to be what we're going to be able to do every six months. It just isn't. Okay. All right. Leave it there. And thank you for uh, finally the phone line cooperated and we had a good conversation. Dr. Gerald Barry, a virologist based in Athlone, who teaches at the School of Veterinary Medicine at UCD. Thank you very much for being with us on the opinion line. Some interesting food for thought there. Antigen, antigen, antigen. Antigen, antigen, antigen. Again. We really need to get used to this. Remember, initially we were saying, and I said it myself, I wouldn't really trust something that you do at home in the kitchen. But maybe things have changed now. Maybe we should be testing. like a test. If it, if it moves, test it to make sure it can stay moving. Don't know how much you paid for petrol or diesel in the last few days. I think the last time I put some diesel in the tank, it was 167 or something like that. Or one was one sixty around that. It's gone shooting up anyway. It's ridiculous. Some people are paying as much as one seventy for a liter of petrol. I see a thing there on CNN where they're giving out yards in America about the cost of a gallon of a gallon of petrol. A gallon of petrol in America right now is tipping three dollars forty, and they are losing the will to live. Three dollars forty is two euro ninety five in our money. So we're currently paying the bones of eight forty to eight fifty a gallon euro wise over here. They're paying three forty dollars, which is two ninety four per gallon, and they're losing the will to live. Sometimes the Yanks don't know how good they have it. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now Alwyn was on the opinion line back in July and had been uh, at the time in Greece undergoing fertility treatment and had just found out that she was pregnant before she came on the show. Alwyn, how did it go? Good morning. Uh, good morning. How are you? God, that diesel thing got me. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> Listen to that there. Um, it didn't go great, unfortunately. Um, I lost the baby at nine weeks. I'm sorry to hear uh, that. Back in on the 31st of August um, everything was going well and I know nine weeks <laughs> sorry might seem like you know very early to a lot of people but for me it was like two years because I had been trying so much and doing everything and uh, everything and travelling over and back to Greece so nine weeks was like a lifetime and it was the most exciting anything had been but unfortunately at Week six, everything was fine. Heartbeat was amazing. Um, and then I went back in to another scan and I was told they saw a little bit of shadowing. So I thought it was twins um, because I had uh, put in two donor uh, embryos. So I thought it was I thought it was a twin. So they said, we'll have you back in 10 days, came back in 10 days. And um, essentially then they said, unfortunately, your baby's heartbeat has stopped. And I just, it just was like, I don't know, it was like someone just punched me in the face. I just was like, really? Is this really happening right now? Like, yeah. is this actually, you know? And and um, they were very good. Like, they can't do anything but follow procedures in there, you know? So, me to go home and, and you know, 
naturally lose the baby or have a, a DNC. So I just said, give me a DNC, please. At this stage, I was trying to not associate. And this is just a personal thing for me. People are very different how they deal with stuff like this. But for me, I kept trying to say, I haven't held it. I didn't hold it. Don't make it real. Just get rid of it. Yeah. That, that was in my head. And I was very, um, very passionate about just get rid of it really quickly. Um, so I went in then the next day and had a DNC the day before my 40th birthday. And oh. yeah, it was, it was, um, it was, it was, it was strange. I had to like um, fight and fight and fight in there to have genetic testing done on the embryo because obviously when you have a double donor, it's not your egg. You're not, it's not your genetics at all. So if it had come back that it wasn't anything to do with the embryo and it was me, I would never be able to try and conceive or this would happen constantly within my genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I fought and fought and they said, uh, no, it wasn't possible. And I was like, I just didn't stop fighting. And I got it in the end and I got a phone call to say it was a little boy and that he had uh, Down syndrome and it was at a very, very strong stage. A lot of people, unfortunately, would carry a child to term. Yes. And then they wouldn't survive uh, in later life. So I take it as a blessing that no one put me through that because that would have that would have been yeah. awful. Just an outline again, Alwyn. I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, and I think you I think you gave him a name as well. I think you called him Sonny, didn't you? Yeah, I called him Sonny. Uh, yeah, that's um, lovely. That's and you you yeah. mentioned Greece. Explain to me why you go yeah. to Greece. Um, okay, how do you make a long story short? I, I tried treatment over here. Um, my egg quality and stuff like that had always been very low. They were uh, very adamant about my egg quality being low, and my AMH level low and my BMI being too high. So I, I wasn't getting the treatment or the time frame of anything being done and I was getting older. I also felt personally, and this is this is really important when people go through this journey, it's very personal and individual to each person. My feelings might not be the same as somebody else. I tend to not mention the clinics I used because I know that the clinics that I used in Ireland that I wasn't happy with, someone else is having an amazing experience there. So I left because I, yeah, I, I left because I felt that I didn't have the support. I didn't have the respect and I felt it was a business here. And I felt very detached from the whole process and everything was just money, 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 money. Like everything was just money. And there was no, there was no emotion and they don't have time for that because actually it is business here. And, but as a single woman on her own, living on her own during COVID, no one around doing it on her own. I, I just found it too difficult. I found it really difficult. Mm-hmm. Why could, you know, was that IVF just wasn't an option for you here? Was it too expensive or what? No, it wasn't that. Um, they told me I could do, in the first clinic, they told me they wouldn't do IVF on me. Um, at the time, they'd try IUI. And I was always very against IUI because IUI is just basically like a one-night stand unprotected. It's just, that's what it is. Um, that's the nicest way I can describe it to people. Um, I did it. I paid 6,000 euro for the whole process, which is actually 800 euro in Greece. So when you work out 
the pros and cons there that was completely pointless um i went to another clinic and i did all the tests paid for everything again and they said my bmi was too high that they weren't happy to use my eggs and that i'd have to get an egg donor and a sperm donor and the minute they said that i just it was actually like i i lost something of myself i felt like such a failure anyone who's been through the process they, it's like going on Tinder and looking for someone and you're just like looking for someone. And the minute I found out that they weren't going to treat me over here as a woman and use my eggs, I just felt like a failure. So I got in, I put it on my Instagram because I share everything on my Instagram and uh, I'm very honest on it. And I try to be as honest as I can and people... I would have been lost without it, to be fair. Someone had then told me about Greece and they were like, well, you can do embryo adoption. And because I tried to adopt in Ireland and I tried to foster in Ireland, this process sounded amazing to me. Adopting an embryo. Yeah, so basically... You could, there's two different ways of doing it. I'll describe it in the, in the non-technical term, the way I took it up. So couples would have embryos left over from cycles or couples can make embryos on a live cycle. So both you and the woman would be on IVF treatment at the same time. Um, but she'd obviously be on stimulants to give her more eggs. Then they would retrieve her eggs. So she's like a surrogate of an, a surrogate of an egg for me. Right. And then I would take the embryo from the donor sperm and her. It's it's fascinating, and that's the it live is. cycle. It is. Yeah. Yes. So and, and is is that, that how is that how Sonny was conceived? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I find it really hard to tell when you say Sonny. Like it's, it's like I try to detach myself. It's it's I'm weird. So, it's uh, such. Uh, no, no, no. I I love it, but it's also quite. It's just really weird. Okay. When they said it was a little boy last week, I was like, oh my god, it's just yeah, it's okay. very. Weird. <laughs> so, yeah, I, saw them, I saw the name on your Instagram and I, I, yeah. I, I, I liked it. Um, so you're, you're going to have another go, are you? Well, um, the, the truth of the matter is when that happened, I was like, that's it. I need to stop. Um, anyone who goes through this process will know that it's like um, going into a casino with all the money in the world and still trying to find money at the end to keep gambling. That's what I feel like it's like. And I I was convinced after the last time that's it, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I thought I'd take a break. But then I have like an amazing follower um, who was a friend from a long time ago, a, a man who set up a GoFundMe under my name. And wow. now I'm not going, yeah, under like Ollie's Baby Wish. And he... He tells people everything, all my steps. He'll email me and ask me what's going on. He'll send emails to anyone who's donated. And I have nothing to do with, with the actual GoFundMe. Like he, I have to send him a bill and he can pay the bill. Now, at the beginning, I was furious. I was, I felt so under pressure. I felt I, I don't want to do this. But actually, the amount of messages that came in and the amount of support, I thought, right, Alwyn, you need to go now. You need to just give it one more go because you're probably most fertile ever after miscarriage. But there's statistics about everything. I so I did. I went over um, last week and uh, I thought I was going over to just have bloods and scans because like I had all my bloods done there. I had uh, aqua scans and stuff like that. And I'm still waiting on bloods over here and I'm still waiting on a scan right. since my DNC. 
And I even ended up with an infection after my DNC. Mm-hmm. But it's I can't go to the hospital. They just don't have they don't have the ability to yeah. be able to call everyone back, you know. And unfortunately in Ireland, if it's only one miscarriage, they only see it as one yeah. only one miscarriage. Yeah. You're more you're more cared for after three. So so, anyway, so what is the plan now then? So the plan is, I went over last week and thought everything was fine. We were going to do an IUI in the hope, because uh, they found five eggs. Penny, my doctor over there, was like, you have five eggs and you're still young. And I was like, what? I have five eggs? I've never been given that positive news about myself. That's why when I went over and did double donor and everything before is because I had such a, a sadness from Ireland telling me I wasn't good enough. Yeah. that I just didn't want Penny to even discuss it with me. And she was like, Alwyn, you have five eggs. And I was like, oh, my God, what? So anyway, ended up, they brought the the doctor in and he did an internal. And he said, unfortunately, we can't do IUI on Alwyn because she needs to have another um, hysteroscopy. So within 24 hours, I had been in the hospital for pretests and in hospital the next day and had a hysteroscopy. They cleaned everything out and got me ready and, I started my pre-IVF treatment today and I will head over again. It'll be probably by the end of the month, I think. And I have to go for two weeks. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a whirlwind. As I said, like it's been on a train and if I get off it, I can't get back on it. So this is my last. (laughs) For now, now, I wish you luck. Uh, it's the best I can do yeah. and we may catch up again because I know people are rooting for you out there to you know get what you want so much Alwyn thank you that's Ollie's baby wish on Instagram going back for another go and we stay with her on it thanks Alwyn can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group call in person or call them now they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. All right. Quick reminder to you, Premier League Live back this Saturday at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, all powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage this weekend of Manchester United versus Manchester City at half past 12. They don't get much bigger than that. Crystal Palace v Wolves at 3. Brighton against Newcastle United at half past 5. It's the Premier League Live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now and listen Saturday on the Quark's 96FM app or indeed you can go to 96FM.ie. The newspapers are full of it this morning. The radio and television news have decamped to their for the uh, week or the fortnight, however long it's on, I think it's a week. I speak of the Climate Summit COP26, which is taking place in Glasgow at the moment. Photographs of young Greta Thunberg, who is outside the conference at the moment, uh, yesterday with a group of protesters around her. Uh, but the, st- the papers themselves full of all sorts of stories from within uh, COP26. The, the star has a very stark front page 
which is see you in hell is a play on the words of the centigrade sign degrees C and reminding us warming warning us that the planet is heating up and heating up way too quickly the Irish Daily Mirror has its own stories too on the inside, although their front page story is about Roy Keane. And Michal Martin, Taoiseach, front page of the Irish Sun. He says there is no choice. Ireland will sign a global pledge for a 30% cut in methane emissions by 2030 and says we have no choice. We know that methane is worse for the environment than carbon dioxide. The Queen is on the front of the Times um, answering the call, answer the call of future generations. She sent a video address to COP26. She's 95 and we, we believe not very well at the moment, although she still looks really hale and hearty in the photograph on the front of the, of the Times. But she is uh, sending a message to COP26 staying with the, the Irish um, the Echo has just local stuff on it. The Irish Independent, again, a picture of Greta Thunberg on the front and talking about the emergency, the climate, global climate emergency in which we find ourselves. Young people, I think it's fair to say, among us are, um, if they're not the most concerned, they are among the most concerned for the future of the planet. I'm joined by Theresa Rose, who will be heading to Glasgow uh, on Thursday um, to take play her part in COP26. Theresa Rose, why is it that you think you need to go and that other young people like you need to go? Good morning. Good morning. Hi, thank you very much. I think it's really important that young people are represented at this climate summit. It's because we, firstly, we deserve a seat at this decision-making table. The last three years have clearly shown that we are able to understand what's going on, we're able to get involved, and we're able to contribute. As well as that, it is quite literally our futures and our lives at stake. It's the littlest things of just that um, that worry about even having a future that is constantly looming over our heads. And it's important that when we attend summits like this, that those in power know that it's not just them that they're concerned about. It's our futures and that we have to be there to be a part of the solution. Your own story of activism began with a monsoon. Tell me about that. Yes. So basically, I had gone home to India in 2018 um, because I'm from Kerala. And what we had received during the expected monsoon rains were torrential. They were extreme. We had the worst flooding in over a century and over 400 people were killed and about one million people were displaced all across the state. Now, that's about 70 percent of Dublin being displaced in a week's time. And at that time, I was young, 14 years old and sort of untaught of what exactly this problem was and what this crisis was going to mean. Pala, which is the place I'm from in Kerala, was not as badly affected as other towns. But even then, once the water had receded a tiny bit, when we went out to see the impacts, the water was up to my neck. This problem, this flooding has happened again in 2019, again in 2020 and mm. twice in 2021. Um, and I came home to Ireland safely, and but I had no idea what this problem was. And I knew I had to do something. I had to take responsibility because once I educated myself, I knew that India wasn't the only place. Ireland will be affected and is currently being impacted. And so will nations all across the world. Mm. We're hearing a lot lately, uh, Trace Rose, about climate justice as opposed to just climate awareness, climate action, climate change. What is climate justice in, in your words? 
So first, I think it's important to know that um, climate awareness and climate action is good, but we are at a tipping point where action and just awareness isn't enough at this stage. We need justice. And for me, climate justice is rebuilding and reconstructing the world around us to create a system that's more fair, sustainable and justice oriented. It's not like climate justice is not so much than just cutting out fossil fuels. It is paying reparations to the global south. It is deconstructing this unjust system built on inequality and oppression and racism and then focusing on building it to become just and unity. The climate crisis is an intersectional issue. And what that actually means is that it affects every sector of our lives, gender, working class families, food, our pets, our air and much more. And that's why climate justice is social justice. It is gender justice. It is racial justice. And when we have climate justice, it means justice for all the people and all of our land. Okay. And COP26, like we, we know what it is. It's it's a huge coming together of of nations that some of the most powerful people in the world are in Glasgow right now. And our understanding is that they're all sitting around a table or a series of tables discussing where we are and what we might do about it. Is is that a, a good summary of what it is? It needs to be more than just the global leaders coming together. COP26 is a summit where people and global leaders come together to discuss um, the state that the world is in at the moment, but also come together to discuss solutions and remedies and reparations for the injustice that's already happened. So this COP specifically, COP26, is quite significant because um, all countries have contributed their decarbonisation policies. And this COP26 summit is, again, very important because it needs to put us on a track for 1.5 degrees. But as of now, the predictions, according to science, is that we're on track for a 2.7 degree world. And that means complete disastrous um, situations for millions of vulnerable communities. So this COP26 is very important and global leaders really need to put in their best work and really put their backs into it because we're not on track for a good run. Are you optimistic at all, no? I have no choice but to be optimistic. Um, like my friend Alicia O'Sullivan, also from Cork, put it in. It is a harrowing experience, but I have to be hopeful. $3.3 trillion have been given by G20 countries to fossil fuel companies since the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015. This cannot continue to happen. We need a total and immediate commitment to a face out of fossil fuels while inst- whilst ensuring a just transition for people whose livelihoods depend on these industries. My hopes are with the people and the collective power we have as a whole. We have to ensure that COP26 is a success because we are standing, like I said, on our last leg here. But I have hope and I am optimistic that we can turn this crisis around, but we have to act now. And if by chance COP26 doesn't provide us the results that we want, we will keep working, we will keep organizing and putting pressure on our governments because we cannot afford to and we will not lose this fight. Okay. Listen, good to speak with you. You've great enthusiasm. I wish you well in your uh, trip to Glasgow uh, on Thursday uh, to go to COP26. That's Tracer Rose. Uh, lives in Cork, originally from Kerala, or Kerala in India, which is a most gorgeous part of the world. But as she said, ravaged by floods. I mean, ravaged, torn apart by floods in the last number of years. And all the experts say that the worse the climate change gets, the worse the floods will get. You can see what drives her. Thank you so much, Trace Rose. 1850-715-996. Just interestingly enough, I had someone send me a little email to ask me to raise some questions about COP26 
And I'll, I'll read those out next. 185715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Ed Sheeran, Adele, Coldplay, they're all in there to get you through Tuesday afternoon and a 10 grand trip to New York City. Could be yours, i got the details here from 12 on Cork's 96FM. FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Just off the back of Trader Rose's comments there, and she heading over to COP21 on Thursday. And as I said, I wish her well. She's passionate about it. You can hear the passion in her voice. Also had an email from Dermot. And... It's a, another take on things. Um, Dermot writes, PJ, I understand you'll be speaking, or I expect you'll be speaking, about COP26 at some point. It's the biggest news story of the week, so of course you will. COP26 is all very fine. We all know there's a climate problem. We all know there are things we not only can do, but indeed we must do if we're to play our part in dealing with that problem. Some of those things are very small. They're easy. They take just a little bit of effort. But some of what we're being asked to do, and told to do, in fact, well, not so much. Electric cars are expensive. Grants barely take the edge off. Retrofitting your house, horrendously expensive. And again, even the best grant scheme barely makes a dent in the cost. PJ, people are listening to you this morning who could barely afford the cost of light, heat and cooking this winter. They can't afford heat pumps. They can't afford solar panels. They can't even think about triple glazed windows or wraparound insulation. Some of them will use a broken kitchen chair as firewood this winter. That's reality. And that's what I'm afraid COP26 doesn't get. And that's what a Greta Thunberg doesn't get. How could she? She's just a kid. David Attenborough is a small god, but I wonder, is he struggling for firewood? As someone put it to me over the last few days, PJ, it's easy to be woke when you're wealthy. That's Dermot's take on COP26. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I heard about this over the last while and I, I thought it had ceased to be a problem, but obviously not. Joined by Laura Ertz Erskine, a regular on the programme and expert on parenting, to talk about delays in birth certificates following the cyber attack on the HSE in May. God, do you remember that? The cyber attack on the HSE in May, it's almost like we'd forgotten it with, with all the other things that happened this year, but it caused a huge problem with the issuing of birth certs. Laura, good morning. Good morning. Good to speak with you again. What problem did it cause for the issuing of birth certs? And then because you can't get a birth cert for the child, what other problems did it cause? 
Oh, my goodness. So the cyber attacks have uh, prevented HSE staff from being able to access really important um, data regarding um, parents and then effectively preventing them from being able to register the birth of their child. Now, you might think that this isn't a problem, um, except for when you realise that actually there's a major financial implication for that. It's not just about registering the birth so you can have your birth certificate and maybe organise a christening now that restrictions have lifted. But actually, without registering the birth for your child, you cannot get a PPS number for your child, which means you cannot claim the child benefit, which uh-huh. also means that you cannot act, you cannot um, apply for a passport for your child either. Um, and uh, and indeed, the, um, the free GP care for children under the age of six, you need to apply for your child's special card to be able to access that service too. And you can't do that without your PPS number and indeed registering the birth of your child. So any backlog in this process has huge ramifications Mm. for new parents. Laura, when when times are right, shall we say, a child born this morning, when would that child have a PPS number and a birth cert in normal times? In normal times, actually, what you do is you you pretty much register them straight away. You can do some of it online. Then you make your appointment with your local HSE birth registration centre. And then you go in and, and you get your birth certificate there and then at your appointment. Both parents have to attend that appointment or there needs to be um, a witness um, to say that if, if one parent cannot attend it, that they, their signature has been witnessed by um, a notary public or or. or solicitor or somebody uh, within the community um, that is approved and, uh, and and you literally get it straight away. In fact, most parents usually do this within the first two weeks of baby being born. However, parents since the pandemic have had to wait up to six months in order to get their appointment and some are still waiting for their appointment and actually very uh, frustrated and upset because appointments that they claim to have tried to process online that they can't get through to the HSE by the phone that their notices where they've tried to do it through the online portal have been lost and um, and it's just causing huge upset for parents who can't access the financial resources in particular yeah. um, that they get on foot of, of registering their baby's birth. So no birth cert means no PPS, means no child benefit, means no under sixes uh, free, uh, free free doctor's visit. In other words, means months and months of extra expense that should be covered. Absolutely. And uh, and not everybody is fortunate enough on their maternity leave from work to be able to get a topped up payment. So, uh, you know, parents are really struggling. Babies are an expensive time and, and to not have access to these benefits, even though the HSC are promising to backdate those benefits. I mean, that doesn't work when you're going into Tesco and you want to buy your nappies um, and or you need to buy essential warm weather uh, gear for your baby as we come into the winter. You know, you, you need to be able to access that cash readily. And uh, this backlog is, is really unacceptable. I know that they, they, it, it's to do with the cyber 
attacks. But really what has happened also is, is that staff have been redeployed uh, to contact tracing centres. So that also impacted on the backlog from, from the HSE. Um, and, and then there are other areas like registering the deaths um, of people as a result of COVID or other reasons mm. and indeed registering for a marriage um, giving your three months notice to the state that has also caused a problem as a result uh, of the uh, cyber attack all affecting the HSE's data um, mm. you know accessing their data on their computer systems. Have there been any answers coming from government or from HSE as to when it might all be sorted out? Uh, the, the latest uh, discussion in government buildings is that the delay should be no longer than six weeks now for um, around the country uh, for new parents accessing um, the registration of their birth. However, in some parts of the country, that's as much as nine or ten weeks. And in other parts of the country, it's as little as four weeks. It really depends on where you're living. Dublin seems to be the worst affected. So hopefully down in Cork, you're not as bad off. Well, we'll soon find out because someone will let us know. Laura, thank you very much for being with us, Laura Erskine. That's one that I think went under the radar a little bit. When the cyber attack happened earlier this year, it threw all sorts of things up in a, up in a heap. But the efficient way of getting a birth cert for a new baby and a PPS for a new baby has all been tossed on its head. And if you haven't got a birth cert, you can't get child benefit, if you haven't got a PPS, you can't get child benefit, you can't get uh, you can't get the free GP card for the doctor many other bills in the first six months of having a child anyone who's ever raised children knows that that's a very expensive few months, very pricey on many levels and not to be able to get the child benefit now look, you will, once it's all sorted and everything works and all tickety-boo, you'll get it all back It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You'll get your money. But it's when you need it and you don't have it. 1850-715-996. Speaking of money, speaking of people who never have to worry about money as long as they live, succession is back. 
starring the savagely wealthy Roy's. I'm sure you can like any of them, but hey, they're savagely wealthy and it's a huge hit. You can tune into Cork's 96FM all this week as we celebrate the release of Series 3 with Now. And the big prize, a holiday in New York, €10,000 worth of holiday to New York. Flights, limo transfers, five-star accommodation, a helicopter ride over New York and spending money. How do you enter? Simple. There's a question. Who plays the part of Logan Roy in succession? Is it A, Brian Cox, or is it B, Courtney Cox? Is it A, Brian Cox, or B, Courtney Cox? You text the word holiday, your answer, A or B, and your name to 083 396 96 96. Text costs €2, and you must be over 18 to enter, and you'll be in with a chance to win a holiday worth 10,000. Now, one text per entry, get the bill, pairs, permission, whatever you do. Winners announced on the 9th of November. For all the T's and C's, you can go to the competitions page at 96fm.ie. This competition only on Cork's 96fm. The question again, who plays Logan Roy in succession? Is it A, Brian Cox, or B, Courtney Cox? Text holiday, A or B, and then your name to 083 396 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's Entertainment. More acts have been announced for the Right Here, Right Now Festival coming up on Friday, November 12th to the 14th. Interference with Glenn Hansard, Lorraine Nash, Keelan Sherlock and Mida Houlihan have all been added to this three-day festival, joining the likes of John Spillane and Mary Coughlin. There's more information at CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. Opening tonight, Rough Magic and Smock Alley Theatre present All the Angels, a new play by Nick Drake that tells the story of Handel's Messiah. It runs at the Everyone Theatre until Thursday evening. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or a live stream coming up by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Talking earlier on this morning to Dr. Gerald Barry, virologist, about various elements of COVID-19 and where we go now. One of the things we talked about was booster vaccines, and he was predicting that at the moment it's just the over 60s or 65s, I think, and people, staff in the healthcare sector, and indeed people in in nursing homes, healthcare staff were only added to this yesterday by NIAC, but Dr. Barry was predicting that this will happen for everybody uh, once eventually. And he thinks they'll even announce that this side of Christmas, that eventually everybody will get a booster shot of the COVID-19 jab. Um, now, Nursing Homes Ireland obviously welcoming the fact that healthcare workers are to get their booster shots and according to the Minister Stephen Donnelly it should start as early as next week Ty Daly from Nursing Homes Ireland as a relief all round I think there Ty good morning yeah, good morning, PJ. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very welcome, welcome development. We've been engaging with the minister and uh, and, and NIAC over the last number of weeks to try and expedite uh, this particular decision. We know from 
research internationally that there is waning immunity um, and um, it, it, it is very, very welcome news and it will provide, I suppose, further protection now as we head into what is uh, an uncertain winter for all of us in the, in the, in the health, health service. Because it's fair to say people were getting very nervous about the nursing homes again. Obviously, the elderly patients and the most vulnerable patients um, have had their booster, but when staff can't or couldn't up to now, that was a problem. Yeah, I mean, clearly, I suppose, you know, we're, we're not where we where we expected to be, unfortunately, um, as a society and, and as a health service. Um, the, the fact that all of the, the residents have been uh, received, all residents over 60 you now would have re- received their booster is very good news. And what we're seeing is that it is having an impact. Uh, we know from uh, the experts, and I'm not an expert in this area, that, it, you know, the, the, third, the third shot or the third boost uh, vaccine increases the immunity levels up to 90% plus. Yes. And we, we see that in, you know, there are outbreaks in nursing homes, unfortunately. There are outbreaks in hospitals, as we know. But what we are seeing, and the reports from members, is that, uh, thankfully, the residents are not as sick. Uh, and clearly, the mortality rate is, is uh, not as high uh, or anywhere near as high as it was in, in either wave one or wave two. So um, the vaccines work. We know that. It, it's, they're not, just, you know, on their own. There's still infection control measures and, and all of the other... And social distancing etc is hugely important but you know vaccine in terms of the hierarchy of protection uh, it is up there on the top of the the tree as far as i'm concerned mm. and that's why it's, it is it is very very welcome uh, so while there are outbreaks we're, we're uh, i suppose comforted by the fact that uh, people aren't getting as sick uh, and the numbers that are are contracting the virus now uh, is lower so the the booster vaccine now hopefully you know by this week we've Speaking with the HSE this morning, we understand that they'll be, um, you know, making provisions to roll it out by the by the weekend, as you said in your in your introduction. So that's yeah. hugely hugely welcome. And it appears that we have the stock and plenty of it, which is a great thing to to be able to say too. In terms of testing, when I talked to Dr. Barry earlier on this morning, Tyg, he was saying that we need to get used to serial testing. Every one of us that goes out to work or goes out to anything, we need to get used to being regularly tested. Serial testing is gone from the nursing homes now, and you want it back well uh, i mean it's, it's still in play in some homes but not not as many as we would like as was what we want really pjs is is a, a very responsive and and uh, quick um introduction of serial testing if it were required so all through covid uh, we, you know every two weeks all of the the um staff were tested uh, through pcr and that was hugely important in terms of detecting cases and making sure that people who either had COVID uh, or were close contacts uh, were, were taken out of the workplace as it were. Uh, now at the moment there's about 180, 190 nursing homes across the country still uh, on serial testing. Many of them were taken off serial testing because uh, they had over 80% of their um, staff and residents vaccinated and also they hadn't had an outbreak in 28 days. But what we're hearing from members across the country is that they are now concerned, again, with high community transmission. You know, Waterford, for example, has been spoken of recently, Kerry, Longford. Uh, what they're saying is in those areas that if there is high incidence, they'd like to be uh, able to get quick access uh, and speedy access to serial testing again. Um, if if it were required. We're heading into the winter and more importantly, Tyke, heading up to Christmas when anybody that has a loved one in a nursing home wants to be able to go to see them, ideally uh, around the festive season itself. As we now stand here with seven and a half weeks to go, will people be able to visit, do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, the, thankfully, the, the visiting guidance that was uh, introduced in July of last year, or July of this year, rather, is working quite well. Uh, I mean, clearly what we're saying to people is that if you have COVID or if you're a close contact, you shouldn't come anywhere near a nursing home or if you have any symptoms. Um, what is being introduced uh, this week is that only those who are vaccinated uh, should uh, visit uh, loved ones in, in nursing homes. So, look, at this point in time... How do you feel about uh, that? Yeah, we would welcome that. I think, you know, you know, your listeners will know that if you wish to go for a bite to eat uh, in a, indoors in a restaurant this weekend, you know, you have to show your, your COVID vaccination pass. Uh, so we think it's also prudent and indeed maybe even more prudent that if you're going into a setting such as a healthcare facility, whether it's a, a hospital or a nursing home, that you should also show your, your, your vaccine certificate. So that, again, will provide a, a further layer of protection, hopefully. So, yeah, we are, we were not quite back to normal, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I mean, nursing home, a nursing home is a person's own home. Uh, and pre-COVID, you know, people came and went as they pleased, as it were. Um, uh, we'd be hoping to get back to that sooner rather than later. But yeah, we'd be confident at this side of Christmas. And indeed, you know, as as things stand, uh, clearly the, the virus is unpredictable. Um, that's one thing we do know from the experience of the last year and a half. So, uh, you know, the peak, the experts are telling us that the peak is going to come in the next week or two. Uh, if that's the case, and if, if cases start dropping again, then hopefully we'd be in a much better position come Christmas. But, you know, nobody can say that with any certainty. But I can assure you that nursing homes uh, will be doing all in their power to ensure that that um, families can visit their their family members uh, over the uh, uh-huh. all all through the year, but but particularly as you say at Christmas time. Okay, Tig, thank you very much, Tig Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland. Paul in Castle Dunavan says, "PB, what's the matter with some people? The world's biggest polluters, China, didn't bother turning up. In India, the targets are so far in the future to be a waste of time. In South Africa, the coal power stations are state owned, a monopoly." that should make huge profits, yet are $17 billion in debt. We all appreciate something needs to be done, but there's a drop in the ocean compared to these countries and, of course, uh, the US. Yeah, China actually didn't turn up to reduce their carbon footprint. I think they have joined uh, remotely. Fergal will correct me on that if I'm wrong, but I think they have. Yeah, they have. They've joined by video, so they are taking part. India have said that they will go climate neutral or net zero or whatever term they use by 2070. Now, if you've ever been to India, and I have, that's a big ask for them to go climate neutral by by 2070. That's a huge commitment. But the point that Paul is making is, like, these are the biggest polluters in the world. We are a very small polluter in the big scheme of things. So are we wasting our time and our energy while these nations drag their feet? That's Paul's point. It's a point made by a lot of people. But then, if you look, listen to it, well, if we don't do our bit for our country and our atmosphere over our heads, we're as bad as those in China or India or America who don't do anything. Every little helps, as the saying goes. Our little contribution helps. That is what we've all got to get into our heads, I guess. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Courts 96 FM. Right, I found them. Those figures from the Sexual Violence Centre, the annual report says 87% of those who were uh, victims of sexual assault yesterday, last, last, yes, last year, were no, their victims knew them. 87% of people that went to the Sexual Violence Centre looking for help last year, they knew their assailant. It's an increase, actually, on 2019. The 2020 report is just out. 28% of assaults took place in the person's own home and nearly a quarter in the perpetrator's own home. I've been talking about these figures with Mary Crilly from the Sexual Violence Centre. Mary, unfortunately, the figures, stark though they are, they come as no surprise to me from talking to you over the years and no surprise to you either, unfortunately. Well, I, I did think last year might be different because of COVID, you know, because of the expectation or the assumption that young girls are raped after pubs or they're raped when they're out on night out. But since that didn't happen at all during, you know, 2020, during COVID, I think it really showed the reality of sexual violence that, you know, it was nothing to do with girls being drunk. It was nothing to do with nightclubs. It was just to do with guys really who intended doing it. And a lot of women have said that they're raped and either their own apartment or the perpetrator's apartment. And normally you're more talking student accommodation or at a house party or in a place where you felt safe because you couldn't go out anywhere. So people were mixing kind of in different houses, different apartments. We all know they shouldn't have been, but that's the reality of it. Yeah. And it also reaffirms the old thing we've known for years too, that most people are assaulted by somebody that they know. I think it is, but it also kind of shows like, can you imagine if you were raped in, in your own place, in your own home, as we have had women coming in saying that, but then young girls in apartments where they're stuck, you know, they're in student accommodation. They've been raped by somebody who they're living with and the rest of the flatmates might know about it, but they want to minimise it because they don't want to bring it on. They don't want to know about it really. And that girl or that young boy has to stay living there because there isn't other accommodation available and because the perpetrator will often play head games with them and say, I didn't mean it. It's not as bad as you're saying. You're making a huge issue out of this. You know, you could have just said no. Or why didn't you say something at the time? All this kind of thing, which makes it very difficult for the victim to either come forward to us or come forward to anybody. I think it makes their life unbearable. And does it happen, Mary, that others in, like you mentioned, accommodation where there are four or five people living together, and does it happen that others gang up against the victim and say, look, just let it go, let it go? Yeah, they, they want a bit of peace. They don't want to rock a boat. Um, he's kind of saying either he didn't mean it or, you know, it wasn't that bad. Or Because I think we have to remember, as you've often said in the past, that the perpetrator doesn't just groom the victim. He grooms people around them. So people will believe that he's so nice he couldn't possibly do it. Maybe somebody else who they don't like could be a suspect, but this guy is so nice yeah. he couldn't possibly do it. Or he has a girlfriend. Why would he do this to you when he has a girlfriend? Yeah. And as you know, rape is just about power and violence. It's not about, you know, consent. It's not about needing to be with someone. It's just about having power and control over someone. Yeah, that is the thing. I mean, I remember you correcting me in the past and I'd say, but God, he was the nicest fella in the place. You'd never imagine it of him. And to which you come straight back and say, that's exactly what he wants you to think. 
And that's what they do. I think that's uh, even in, you know, domestic violence situations where families might say um, he's a really nice guy that he can't do enough for her. Like, what's her problem? You know, because they do groom people around. They do know how to manipulate. And that's how these guys get into one relationship after the other or how they have people backing them up because they know how to play the game. The perpetrators are predators. I mean, they're played in ways that you and I wouldn't have a notion of how to go about it. What kind of challenges do these figures present, Mary? as we struggle to deal with this plague in our midst? I think we have a great opportunity of having a new normal. I think we have a great opportunity of asking the good guys out there, and there are so many of them. I mean, as I've said in the past, if I didn't know um, every part of my being, didn't know that there's really good guys out there, I wouldn't be able to keep going on with this. I think um, these guys who do rape, who do assault, they won't call it rape. They'll kind of say, I had her last night. She can't remember a thing. She was out for the count. She was comatose. And I did whatever to her. They won't call it rape. But in fact, that is what it is. So I'm asking the good guys to call out their friends. It doesn't mean going to court because that, or, or going to the guards. Because that'll be up to the victim. But even to say seriously to their friends that there will be repercussions um, if they continue with this, even not being part of the gang or not being part of whatever. I think not only do we tolerate perpetrators, we allow them to continue with their behaviour. Let me bring something up, Mary, that we've discussed a couple of times on the programme the last few weeks, and it seems to be a big problem now, and that is spiking, but not spiking the drink, spiking the person, actually people walking around with needles in their pockets. I think spiking with injections is horrific. It is a new way of doing it. It is a new way of comatosing your victim as such. Like, as you rightfully said, it, you know, we all have to watch your drinks if we're out. We all have to watch kind of what's happening, but we have to watch who's sitting around the table who might potentially put something in a drink. Um, but, I mean, the whole idea of using an injection is so different. And we would have met three women or three women who made contact with us over the past couple of weeks since the jazz festival and the Halloween night saying that they had marks in their body. They knew somebody had injected them. They hadn't been injected with anything in particular. So I think there's a, a gang going around or some guys going around who think this is a great laugh, you know, who would probably say to you they wouldn't dream of spiking someone. They wouldn't dream of doing this, but they're just doing this for a laugh. But it left the um, victims feeling very vulnerable, very raw, you know, kind of saying they're not going out anymore because they'd say, if this can happen to me, and I did thought, think I felt a scrape, I thought oh, I hit off a chair or something, well, then I could be spiked. If somebody can do this for a laugh, well, then somebody could do it for real. I think it's very frightening. And I mean, these guys, as you know, don't go into nightclubs or pubs on their own. So the friends do know what they're about. They do know, and I think it's very serious. And for the nighttime economy, as they now call it, the pubs and the clubs, does it does it cast a responsibility in their direction? I mean, as it to go in anywhere now, you've got to have a cert and you've got to have a, an ID. So they're checking them going in the door. Then again, you can't really go searching pockets for syringes, can you? No, but I think that their friends know about it and other people know about it. And sometimes people see it and they're afraid to say anything. I mean, we've started a campaign, the one you know about, the Safe Gigs campaign. Yes. And a lot of pubs are coming on board and CVG launched it and others are getting involved just to highlight um, venues because every venue wants to be safe. Every venue wants their clientele to come back and every venue wants people to leave, you know, without any complaint. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. So... You know, what you're doing, as I've said over the years, is amazing because you're keeping the conversation going. You're one of the few who's keeping this conversation going constantly on this. And that's making a huge difference because people hear this and then they say, maybe I didn't imagine it. Maybe it's not my fault. And let's talk about it. And that's sometimes that's as much as we can do. 
Appreciate you saying that, Mary, and thank you. The The thing is, with regard to something else I said last week, and I remember people came back and said, oh, but you're blaming the victims now. I wasn't. Like, if a group of young women are out together, I would always say, never leave an unattended drink. Never leave the table unattended with drinks on it. That, to me, is simple advice. Well, and there are perpetrators out there just watching watching to get their chance to do this. So, you know, I don't think that's victim blaming. I think I'd say that to everybody, man, woman, or whoever's in, in a building or having a drink, keep an eye on what you're doing, what you're eating, what you're doing, because there are guys out there who are prepared to do it. The majority aren't, but there are ones who are prepared to do it. Now, you you know, like in nightclubs or pubs where you can go to the bathroom and then your friends will go off, talk to someone. Sometimes your drink is kind of left there and that's the reality of it. Mm. Never never come back to a drink that you left unattended. You don't know what might be in it. Mary, as always, a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. A few people contributing to our discussion on COP26. I'll read those in a little while. Also, a complaint about rubbish collection. I want to know if anyone has any... Uh, suggestions for a listener who has a bit of complaint about rubbish collection. I'll get to that in a wee while. 1850-715-996. Now we know the schools are being told ventilate. They did get carbon dioxide meters but not enough of them by all accounts and not one for every room in the school. But ventilation, ventilation, ventilation. And if you just have a quick look up and down Twitter or any social media of your choice in the last few days, you'll find people saying that that's grand. The children now came home the other day frozen with the cold because the only way they have to ventilate the classroom is open the window. And I mean, it looks gorgeous out there right now, but it's not warm. Certainly not warm if you're sitting in in a classroom with the window wide open. And uh, Professor John Winger, our friend at UCC, tweeted a picture or retweeted a picture that was put up by a teacher uh, that said they had no CO2 monitor and had to prop a window open with a pile of books. Uh, And the immediate response to that tweet was loads of people coming back and saying, we'd be shocked how many places that's happening in and if we're heading into another winter with this contagious virus in our midst and it's in our schools and our children are unvaccinated as of yet if that's the best we can do as regards ventilation it's going to be a very difficult winter john good morning to you good morning pj that picture that you retweeted yesterday i think would be all too familiar in many a classroom, a few windows, a few books propping open a window. That's not proper ventilation. Not really. <laughs> You're right. It's, 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 it's not good enough. Simple as that. You know, teachers shouldn't have to resort to doing this to get fresh air into their classrooms. Um, you know, I was part of an expert group dealing with COVID-19 and ventilation. One of the key recommendations was the CO2 monitors, which you mentioned already, but also to do things like ventilation checks and audits, and also to do these things in the summer period. 
So that gives time for any improvements to be made before the schools reopen in the uh, in the autumn. Yeah. And that simply wasn't done by and large, you know. So, um, you know, there really was a, an opportunity, a window in the summer months to get this sorted out and just hasn't been done across the board. Like a simple expedient of replacing one pane in a large window with a louver and open and close it as you need so, it. Is that simple? There are many ways to do this, you know, and I think there are engineers and architects that can go around schools and inspect buildings um, and just quite quite easy, quite quickly identify spaces that would be uh, troublesome or poorly ventilated. In fact, many of the teachers and principals already know this. They know the rooms that are difficult to get fresh air through, right? You know, the stuffier classrooms, the ones that are harder, um, you know, to, to deal with. Um, and these these things could have been done. It requires effort. It requires money. Mm. But look at the problems now that, that not doing this has caused. Mm. You know, we're getting, you know, hundreds, thousands of cases amongst young children. And, of course, there is the concern, because they're not vaccinated. Uh, we're not, we don't have maximum precautions for them. And, and you know, there's the risk of long COVID as well. So this is, um, you know, this, this is just uh, mm. what's preventable. We could have avoided the worst of this, you know. Another thing, of course, is that we've got the all-too-familiar RSV virus is out there and it's laying some kids low. The flu season is is starting. There's the winter colds and children sitting for hours in classrooms that are badly ventilated. By badly ventilated, I mean they're not ventilated at all or they're so crudely ventilated that the poor children are frozen. Yes, I mean, you know, the CO2 monitors was a great thing because it allows teachers and principals to see the level of ventilation that they can get in rooms. But what we're seeing in some rooms, even with doors and windows open, the CO2 monitors are still in the red, you know, which means that they need to be assessed and the ventilation needs to be approved. So even when teachers are doing all they can, in some cases, it's not enough. Um, and, and so there is there is what seems to be poor ventilation. We have a certain level of CO2 in the room, which indicates there's not enough fresh air. And this is just conditions for spreading not just COVID, obviously, but also colds, respiratory viruses, and, and the flu. I mean, we've, we've seen the start of a few flu cases already arriving um, in Ireland. So, and, and it's just the start of November. So I think that we are in for a long winter unless we do something fast. Who's got to step up here, John? Well, the Department of Education, really. You know, I, I think there has been um, several mistakes made. That One of the biggest mistakes, in my opinion, was not supporting the wearing of masks in primary schools. Mm. You know, this is a very simple measure to prevent the virus getting into the air. It also prevents the wearer breathing it in. You know, we do this routinely for adults. We do this for 12-year-olds, but we can't do this for 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 9-year-olds, 8-year-olds, even though many countries around Europe are, are doing this and quite successfully. We've seen cases in France in primary school children have remained lower than they were even in the summer. Now, of course, I could look around different countries and some are rise and some are not, but Ireland is by far the worst, along with the UK, of course, um, in terms of number of cases amongst primary school children. Okay. John, might I bring you briefly to uh, COP26 into that discussion just before I let you go because you and I have talked many, many times about yeah. the environment and carbon and carbon dioxide and the things that... Yeah. What about the argument that people make, John? And it comes in on my messages here. Why are we talking ourselves up so much when the real polluters, the Chinas, the Indias, the Americas of this world, they will continue to to pump 
poisons into the atmosphere, no matter how hard we work at our end? Well, you can look at it in two ways. Obviously, you look at the total emissions that, um, you know, different countries have, or you work on the basis of per capita, per head. Mm-hmm. And per capita, we're amongst the highest, I'm sure, you know, in terms of our emissions from agriculture and so on. So I think we, we just have to step up and play, and, you know, do, do our part. It's, it's, it's obvious, you know. And I think that by making some of these changes, there are other benefits. You know, I've talked to you very often about air pollution, okay? So if we do move away from heating our homes with coal and wood and peat, and we do move away from diesel um, and petrol, we will have less emissions of CO2, less greenhouse gases, but we'll also improve the quality of air. This improves health, um, you know, and can make our cities more enjoyable places. So in the end, we can join up these dots. So I think this is an opportunity to join up some of the dots, to connect climate with air pollution, with health and environment. And what about and the- I think it is sustainability that we need to make sure happens as we move forward, you know. You mentioned things like not burning fossil fuels and not to, to heat our homes and, and not, not driving diesel or petrol. I refer back to an email I read out earlier on this morning, which effectively takes the point, yet these things are all very fine. We know they would be great, but electric cars are expensive. Grants barely take the edge off. Retrofitting your house, very expensive. Even the best grant scheme barely makes a dent. It's going to be financially difficult for ordinary families to do this. I agree totally. Um, the government needs to step up and support people to make the change. You know, um, we, I bought an electric car this year, right? Now, we were planning to buy one for years, but we couldn't afford it. We literally couldn't afford it. It was only when the old one just died that we said, look, we'll, we'll stretch it. Now, actually, we're getting the benefits from that because we are saving thousands per year on fuel, right? Um, but we can't, afford, we can't afford to change our oil boiler for a heat pump yet, you know? Yeah. We can't do it. Um, it's just, just too expensive. And I'm, I'm on a good salary, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a professor in university. So, so um, look, uh, people can't afford it, so they need to, to be supported to make the change. And that's the only way it's going to happen. All right, John, thank you. That's uh, Professor John Wenger at uh, UCC uh, Air Quality. Uh, the professor in Physical and Environmental Chemistry, to give him his full title. Thank you, John. 1850-715-996. couple of other things on COP26. We all have a part to play, says this WhatsApp message. We can't control other countries like India or China, but we can help reduce in our own way. It is partly our fault because of our consumerism and our constant need to buy things, to have the latest fashion, to have the newest gadgets. I am a consumer, but I'm very conscious of what I buy and if I actually need it at all. We all buy far too much stuff and that is driving much of the production facilities in these countries like India and China. And Andrew says, PJ, you said the likes of China and India are the biggest polluters, but we must remember we in the Western world are the biggest consumers and it's only because of the demand for goods that they produce, which the two very good comments. Like China, you might call the factory of the world. Look around your house. Just look around your house. Just walk around the kitchen and the dining room and look at things that you use and turn up the back of them and read the side of them. Made in China. Made in China. Made in China. Half the stuff in our house is made in China. So is it any wonder with all the manufacture, it, it's, a, it's a big pollutant, but we're buying the stuff. So we're not helping, if you like. 
1850-715-996. I was talking yesterday and we podcast extra it as well and it was on the overnight repeat and stuff to John Paul Ricken. And you know the story. He and Susan, living in Perth for the last 10 years, two small children, and then two and a half, three weeks ago, she suddenly took ill at home. And she's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Now, they were waiting to talk to the doctors yesterday and hear more about where her treatment goes. She's going to be having chemotherapy and a long, long battle to try to stabilise her and get as much time for her as she can. Her mum and dad are going out there. They're going into quarantine now. Um, and they'll see her in a, in a couple of weeks. But uh, their great friend, Gronje set up a GoFundMe. And when I was chatting with John Paul yesterday, I said we would share the GoFundMe, and we did. Now, when we came on air yesterday morning, the GoFundMe was just over 77,000 Australian dollars, which is about 48,000 euro. Um, it's brilliant to know that uh, 24 hours on, or just over 24 hours on from our interview with John Paul, the total amount in that GoFundMe is now 81,900 Australian dollars. Damn near to 82,000 Australian dollars. And that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I know the, I know the donations are still coming in. Uh, 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Ross's daughter Emily is 13 and she's on TikTok. She's been booted off TikTok. Yeah. Oh. She's been kicked off. This happened on Monday. How is she? Uh, sorry, how does she feel about it? Is she, she There was an existential crisis and oh, a panic. I can imagine. She's like, I posted a photograph because it was Carly's communion. It says here that I'm a minor drinking alcohol. I wasn't drinking any alcohol. Show me the video that you posted. It was a video of her with a bottle of Sidona. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long standing tradition in Cork. Open 24 7 at NoDC.com. Cork's 96 FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, that GoFundMe remains open for the Rickens if you want to uh, give a few quid. Uh, it'll be greatly appreciated. Paul John Paul was thrilled with the response yesterday to uh, to his conversation with me on the on the opinion line. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's a gang of us here going to the theatre tonight. Oh yeah, theatre. We're going to support one of our own. Uh, that's Jess from the newsroom. Jess Lean, whose first play is on its second run. Uh, at the Cat Club, opening tonight for a few nights. It's called Waiting for Wi-Fi. And a lot of people have been saying, Jess, that you need to tour this because it needs to be seen, deserves to be seen at some of the festivals in the world, or at least around Ireland, and you want to try and get it started. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. A few of us going along tonight to support you and cheer you on. But by all accounts, it's going on very well for you. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, just a few people that were in last time suggested to me that I look at bringing it to Edinburgh, which is which is a huge compliment to get from anyone who sees a show. So, um, yeah, I'm just I'm putting that kind of out to the universe and putting the cogs in motion for looking at doing that next year. I'm hoping to bring it a little bit around the country and bringing it to Killarney uh, in Kerry next February mm. um, to the INEC. Um, but, yeah, hoping to bring it to a few more places again before before the Edinburgh maybe situation. You must be very pleasantly surprised that people are taking it to taking it are coming up and saying that to you. Yeah, absolutely because um well I, like I'm not sure how much people would know about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival but uh, it's it's a huge um it's a huge gamble like there's a lot of there's a lot of risk involved if you if you go over you book things on your own accord and mm. you know you put all your your own money essentially into it. So to have people saying it to you, it, it really kind of means that I suppose they believe in the show and that they got something from it, which is a huge, huge compliment. And mm. yeah, it's just it's 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 a bit overwhelming because because I brought it to Cork first, and it's it's lovely to get such nice audiences in. And yeah, mm. it's great. You're an independent artist, which means you, you you write this, you stage it, you perform it all yourself. It's huge work to get just to get something on a stage alone, let alone take it around and tour it. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I put a show on previously a few years ago called Two of Clubs um, and I had a, a, a bigger team behind me. Like there was a director, there was a, well, I was the producer again and there was just, just a bigger team. But for this one, to be honest, with COVID and everything that happened over the last 18 months, everything took a, a hit. So I had to look at doing this quite solo. Um, so I've I've directed it myself and I've produced it and I'm in it. So it's myself and Jamie Feely, who's the lighting designer. So there's actually only two of us in this. Um, and it's taken it's taken a, a lot of work and a lot of um, long nights and days. So, yeah, it's 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 lonely at times, but it's just the best thing in the world and I wouldn't change it. So mm. it, it is. Uh, it's a lot of work. Tell me a bit about it. What's the, waiting for Wi-Fi? What's it about? So it's about a girl called Maggie, who is uh, a travel blogger and she's traveling around South America and she's living off her blog and the, the funds, I suppose, that that gives her. But what's actually happening is that she's agoraphobic and she's stuck in her bedroom and she has a green screen and she's fooling all of her friends and family into believing that she is traveling the world, whereas she's actually just stuck in a room. Um, and she developed this agoraphobia during lockdown. So this play is set two years later in 2023. So she's still in the bedroom. Um, so it's it's a dark comedy because she's quite a quirky and unusual girl. So she's kind of developed a little bit of her own language where she speaks in riddles and rhymes. And it's a very physical show. It's um, there's it's a empty space, uh, black box piece. So there's no set. There's no props. It's oh. just the lighting and the movement. Yeah, just you so and the lights. He's uh, just me and the lights. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully they work. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose you would think taking a one-woman show with no set and just lights would be easy to take it around. But it, as an independent artist, you're struggling all the time to try and put every next show together. And I know that what you would like is for people to come along and talk about it and get the, get get it out there and push it for you to help you get to the next yeah, stage. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like there's a lot involved um, in the producing side of things with regards to, you know, getting getting reviewers in and getting just getting the word out, as you said, whether it's on social media or people having a chat. So the best thing possible is is absolutely as audiences. But uh, yeah, just it's it's a it's an odd time for artists because there was kind of this, uh, oh, yeah, everything is back and yeah. like this big kind of burst. And I, I, I really did think it would be a lot easier right now because of um, just just all that. And the last 18 months, we haven't had anything. But there there was such a burst of concerts and other things going on. I think there's a little bit of a of a slowdown yeah. happening now. Yeah, the, so it, it is very tough. Yeah, there's all sorts of big gigs being announced and big events and everyone's delighted to see them. And you're going, hello, I'm here, too. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the small guy in the corner shouting, but um, but I'm I'm still going to all the big gigs and big events. I love it. Like it's it's yeah. absolutely brilliant to have such a buzz back in in Cork and all over the place. So, all right, yeah, well, I'm just happy to be adding to it. Going along tonight, it'll be my first venture to see a theatre show uh, since it all started, other than ones that were put on to show as it could be done. Jess, good luck with it. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to have you in tonight. Thanks, PJ. Talk to you later. That's Jessica Courtney Lean. Works with us here at 96M, the newsroom, but she is the writer, producer, director, star of Waiting for Wi-Fi. It opens tonight at the Cork Arts Theatre. And great for her to get that, but she wants to take it further. And as an independent artist, she and many others are struggling. 1850-715-996. Hi, PJ. I work in a school that has all windows and doors open. School is freezing. Outside the COVID, all schools are going to have a problem with kids and staff getting sick very fast because they're wearing jackets in the classroom. It's ridiculous. They have to try and keep warm. And then wearing jackets inside and going out with the jacket again, sure, it's no use. And it's going to cause all sorts of sickness. 1850 You might want to wear your uh, Christmas jumper. If you have a Christmas jumper, put it on going to school. Uh, every year in Cork, thousands of you do get together to help fight homelessness with Cork Simon and you wear your Christmas jumper to raise vital funds. And this year we're getting you to do it again, Cork's 96FM, with Simon, asking you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever you feel safest in doing so. Do it in the office, if you're back in the office. Do it at home, if you're working from home. Do it online with your friends or your colleagues or even family overseas. Uh, do a Zoom and get a picture of all you there in your in your Christmas jumpers. You can get a fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and then join Cork's 96FM as we help to fight homelessness in Cork. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, I've said it before and I've said it again. I, I don't think that vegan life would be for me. I'm too fond of my burgers and my chicken and my fish and all those things. I am. But this is World Vegan Month and like it or not, or whatever way you look at it, more and more people are choosing to at least try to be vegan. And they say, I say at least try because the perception is out there that it's a very difficult transition to be vegan, to live vegan. 
Nicola Flood, the Queen of Health, as they call her, joins me. Nicola, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. How long have you been vegan? I'm not a full vegan, believe it or not. Um, I, as you said, it is quite hard to be a fully-fledged um, vegan, but I would be predominantly plant-based, and it's something that I encourage with my clients as well. Why? The more fruits and vegetables that we can get in is really, you know, we're getting those antioxidants and minerals into the body every day. And I'll always say to my clients, make sure that the star of the show, especially at lunchtime and dinner, is your salad or your vegetables to make sure. Because we've gone from five portions of fruit and veg every day to now it's up to seven to nine, believe it or not. Mm. Um, and and I, look, a lot of us are not hitting that um, quantity daily. Mm. I've already had four portions of fruit and veg today. Well done, you. Because that's all. I, that's all I eat while I'm on air, and when okay. I come in, I bring fruit and veg with me, and that's all I'll have. But tonight, I need my meat or my fish. Gotta have it. Yeah, and a lot of people do. A lot of people, you know, that's their protein source, and people will transition over to plant-based or, or vegan um, because of they they hear of this health, yeah. uh, health you know, around their overall health and well-being. But my advice to people, if they are going to transition over, is to, and especially now in World Vegan Month, there's a lot of communities around now for support. And it's the main thing I say to people is get some support, educate yourself, be knowledgeable, because one of the pitfalls is people will pull out a main food group, like your fish, your meat, your eggs, but then they don't put it back in in some form or other. And it's where people then can start to feel a little bit lethargic, mm. a little bit unwell, you know. Yeah. So w- one of the things I'd always recommend as well is for people is to supplement. Um, there's a fantastic Irish brand called Aya out there that are now, again, for Vegan Month, are working with vegans. They have a bundle, but to support yourself with supplementation is key, PJ, when you're you're doing anything like this. Mm, mm, because the protein from a boiled egg or the protein from a piece, a good piece of, of fish or, or, or meat, you, you've got to replace that if you take it out. Absolutely. If we look at a, a typical lunch or dinner plate, a quarter of that is your protein. And if, you know, the other quarter for me is a complex carbohydrate. And then, as I said, the star of the show, the fruits and the vegetables mm. on that half a plate. But yeah, you're right. If you take out that quarter of a plate of that protein, you need to put back in. And a lot of people, when they transition initially, and when I went vegetarian many years ago, before the knowledge of what I had now, I did it completely wrong, where everything was carb heavy. And I didn't know anything about legumes or lentils or tofu and it's really you using spices and flavors and that's where the whole education piece comes in tofu i have i have to confess i'd rather eat a rubber doorstop i know people yeah it's one of the things that you go oh my goodness no i'd never tried that although i i have had it marinated within an inch of its life in in tikka masala sauce Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, then, passi- it's passable then. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. But you know what? It's 
it's like the likes of say meat free Mondays to, to start with or I know for us in, on a Monday I'll make maybe like a, a shepherd list pie I call it but we put it in with lentils but how we transitioned to that was you know we went half mince half lentils and then I transitioned over so you know a couple of meals I've got the family now kind of transitioned over that a couple of our dinners yeah. are vegan each week and that's the way we do it yeah. um you're a fan of chickpeas so, yeah. oh I love them I love them yeah. my, my <laughs> missus like made a, a curry recently she, she's mad into making vegetarian curries and I said Chris I need to put some meat into that and she said no you don't um, because she, oh. she spooned in and she cooked in uh, literally a huge amount of chickpeas into another there's a nice bite in them there is, and you know, they really do have that. Them and mushrooms really oh, give the, the meat. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, but yeah, look, one of those, you know, curries, it's one of those recipes I have for clients when they, they want to eat more plant-based foods, is, and it's a chickpea curry, and they love it. Yes. So yeah, it's those things of, of finding what, there is a vegan alternative for all the, the chicken curries or the, the, you know, the shepherd's pies. So there is loads of recipes out there. And I think we're more on trend now mm. than ever with, with vegan, especially in Ireland. Um, we're, we're very on trend. Well, of course, with, the environmentalists yeah. would, would have you believe that veganism is part of saving the planet. Do you go along with that? Yeah, and you know, for me, it's more around health and wellness. I'm I'm more into get those fruits and vegetables and your your you know your fiber and lentils in. I haven't gone down that road to mm. look into that. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So but we're, the more we're, we can do for everything. <laughs> yeah. So recipes. I mean, it's whatever you cook. I suppose as normal. Just don't don't put meat in it. Is is it as simple as that? Put something else instead. Put chickpeas. Put lentils. Put something else in instead. It is. It's as simple as that. And, you know, lentils for me are one of the, the highest levels of, of protein, but they really are one that kind of resemble mints or that type of texture. Um, the chickpeas and curry, as you said, they are really, really good and there's a crunch and, and nourishment there. But it's it's a, having a bit of fun around it too, because a lot of people will just say, okay, right, that's it. I'm going vegan. I'm jumping in. And before they know it, it just becomes very restrictive because they've just want to transition a hundred percent where do you give your time like one meal a day maybe and breakfast is sometimes the easiest meal to to start with and then maybe next week say do you know what I'm going to try a day where I have two meals that are, are vegan or plant-based um I think it's the easiest road mm. to, to go down PJ yeah okay. all right where can we look at your recipes and find out some more yeah, so you can find me on www.thequeenofhealth.ie and I'm the Queen of Health all over social media. All right, listen, good talking to you, Nicola. That's Nicola Flood, 1850-715-996. Must say, I did something on Twitter at the weekend and I stand over this, right? The whole vegan thing and vegetarian thing and plant-based and meat-free. Look, it is what it is. You can partake or you cannot. But the other one thing, <laughs> and I sit there and I go, why, like, Why? Cauliflower rice. Like, it's one of the great mysteries of our time. Cauliflower rice. Like, it's shredded, flipping cauliflower. It's not rice. Rice is rice. Cauliflower rice. Why? And I put this up on um, on Twitter, and someone came back and said, beat that. Beat that. Cauliflower steak. 
to be sliced of cauliflower in about why like no one can explain to me why cauliflower rice is a thing. It's just cauliflower. It's just shredded cauliflower. Now, does anyone care to enlighten me as to why the cauliflower rice? Are, are they there, T? Can we go with that? Um, I, I think we may have spoken to them at some point during lockdown. That was the Dennehy family. Um, they got together, like many did. Many people got together on... Uh, Facebook or on any other platform you care, Zoom, during lockdown, and they put together music uh, from their own homes, their own instruments. We had some fabulous Saturday night sessions and Wednesday evening sessions and Friday night sessions, and it was great. One such group were the Dennehy family, who did a live music session from their living room every Friday during lockdown. Uh, Finbar joins me. Hi, Finbar. Hello, Dale. How are you doing? Good. This kind of started, didn't it, as a once-off, and then it really took off. Yeah, I suppose uh, last April, 12 months back, um, we just decided to do, when the lockdown came in and we were doing our music, and then off the road, we decided just to do a live show from our front room, and it started from there, and the fan base just got bigger and bigger, and it hasn't, hasn't stopped since. Mm. Who, who takes part? Uh, myself and uh, my wife and uh, two of my my daughters and uh, we 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 have a few guest artists maybe one or two like you know when things lifted up we were able to get one or two guests which would be cousins of ours and they come in and just you know a few um, things like that just uh, lifted a bit but at the start it was just ourselves mm. and um, we just built it up from there and um, we have a few requests coming in now to do a few live shows around the around the country so. You know, it's, a, it's after opening a home. Oh, that's great. And did you play yeah. together before that? Like, or was this just an idea you got during lockdown? Well, no, I, I, I started out myself, um, you know, way years back. And um, as uh, I, I was playing with a, a few bands along the way. And then I went as a one-man band. And then later on in years, uh, when I met my wife and we got married, and then I, we had a family of our own, and um, they, they fell into the music. They loved the music, and... They're playing now as well, so, you know, it, it, it built from there. Right. Now, then you were approached, I think, by, by T.G. Cahar, is that right? Uh, that's right, yeah. Um, they are at the start of the year. We got a phone call. They, they spotted us on Facebook, and they asked us to know would we like to come up to take part in their their show. Um, and uh, we said yes, so obviously we went up, and we enjoyed every minute of it, the experience of it, and, you know, and mm. Especially the exporter that we're after getting. This, this was Railta August Grelta. But tell me, like to get a call like that from the producer of a television show after you just decided to do this little hobby session on like that's that's some moment, isn't it? Oh, sure. It's it's amazing, really, because we never, you know, we never expected anything like that. We just it was all it started out as just you know something to keep us on the scene, and then as well the people who used to go around to see us. As a band, we decided, you know, we'd give something back to them. And, you know, it's after, it's uh, it's coming back to us, you know, tinfoil. Thanks be to God, we're, we're enjoying every minute of it. And we'd like to, t- you know, to also thank those people for, for their time, you know. It's, it's great. So you, so you went off up anyway and you took part? We took part, yeah. It was great. And there was all different type of acts from all over the country. And there was, um, I think there was a couple of acts there as well, you know, different European acts and whatever. And it's great to see the different types of music that's out there and you know all the different uh, formats and whatever it's, it's you know it was the experience I was alone it was fantastic how did you do 
we got down to the valley, down to the last. Uh, we came to the, to the, the, the. We were called back to ourselves in another group. We, mm. got, we got right down to the wire in our heat, and um, uh, we, we 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 lost out in the last and the last moment. But at least we got to the wire, you know, which was a great a great thing. We were delighted. Yes, yeah, that was a huge kind of non. You never expected that, Suzu, when you sat down in the living room to to chance your arm at this, did you? No, no, and like and the amount of people we had, there was people from uh, the UK, Scotland, America, you know, not alone, all our own people here at home in Ireland, you know, Northern Ireland, everywhere. Like it, it, it's fantastic the amount of people that and uh, the amount of gifts we got as well. People just showing their appreciation for what we did from over the lockdown and. You know, it's um, so the whole new experience, and it's absolutely great. You know, we never realised that there were so many people listening in, and yeah. you know. And now you're not exactly trad musicians, so how did that go down with the TG Cahar audience? Well, we'd be kind of more. We kind of knew that from the start. We were more kind of country scene, but yeah. that's what they want. I think that's why they rang us in the first place. They wanted something, something you know, different, like. Um, you know, it is an Irish, more of an Irish program, but at the same time, I think they wanted, a, 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 you know, people who were doing more of the country scene to try and see how that worked out. And that was one of the reasons that we we, we went to, went up there and, um, you know, just to see what way it would work out. And t- look, yeah, it went grand. Good, good. Now, I think the Facebook sessions are at an end now that we're all able to go and perform again and stuff like that. So what happens next? Well, a few places now. We're, we're, we 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 will still be doing a few live live sessions, maybe the odd one along, you know. But um, there is a few venues asked us to take our show live to their place and do it live from there. So we're considering that. You know, we 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 did one there uh, a few weeks back from West Cork back in uh, in Chigila, and uh, it was fabulous. I think you know the the, the response we got. Great. Any ch- any thoughts of recording or? Laying, yeah, laying down a track or two. Oh yeah, we're, we, we've 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 uh, an album. Um, we've uh, a, a bit of work done on it, and uh, just to finish it off, just we're we're trying to decide what name we'll put in it. Mm-hmm. Mu- music from the lockdown, or music from the front room, or something. Yeah, <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah you could, maybe listeners could think of a, a, a title for it. Yeah, we might we might throw it out there to see what uh, what people would come up with. All right. <laughs> Listen, delighted that it took off for you, and and you never know. Now maybe they, they call it pivoting. You see, yeah, You've pivoted now maybe to a whole new career for the family. Yeah, yeah. So they looked at the lighter, which is even the girls there, they're you know over the moon and they enjoyed every minute of it. And you know, any any place they go now, there's always someone comes up. They say to me, "Oh, we were in such a place," and they all knew us. And they said, "You're the people from Facebook." And <laughs> great, I uh, sure know, a bit of rec- bit of recognition never hurt anybody, Finbar. That no, and you know, I suppose any any little bit of a, as like a man said to me one one time, he said, if you get a minute, a minute on RT is worth all the is worth all the advertising in the world. There you go, uh, and a minute on ninety six FM helps as well. Finbar, thank you very much. That's Finbar Dennehy of the Dennehy family uh, doing their thing. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie All the stars on one show. 
The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Test drive the all-electric ID4 at Newmarket Motors. Or visit NewmarketVolkswagen.ie for more. Corks 96 FM. A traffic update, Ken Parrish. In an accident on the at the beginning of the South Link, it's just outside Brownlow's, which is a hardware shop. Uh, it's going to affect traffic that's coming, we'll say, from the back of the Elysian, heading on to the South City Link. Two vehicles involved, only a minor fender bender. Guards haven't arrived yet, so she'll be there for another 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Ken, thanks for that. Paul says, I tried a plant-based life. I was told I wasn't doing my life any good. And if the guards found the plants, I'd be doing two years. Thanks, Paul. And PJ, don't judge until you try cauliflower wings. That's from Amy Ryan and Cove. She sent a picture. They look lovely, but it's cauliflower. Cauliflowers don't have wings. What you have is cauliflower cut into a nice, pretty shape and spiced. It's still cauliflower. See you tomorrow just after nine.